Welcome back, guys. Welcome to uh, Sense Makers. Today, our topic, our thought theme for the pod is uh, Corners and Edges. Corners and Edges, Bob Booker, episode 39. We love Bob Booker. He's one of our heroes from our, from our childhood, ex-Chef United player. And he talked about Corners and Edges. Now, I can put this in context and I can visualise it now as being in the, the old Chef United changing rooms. And, and football teams used to have younger people in there between 16 and 18 who were called apprentices. It then in my day moved on to be called YTS trainees, the youth training scheme. And then now they're scholars, but they don't have to do any of the horrible jobs that the apprentices and, and scholars used to do. So an example of that would be the cleaning the boots. It was mopping out the changing rooms, cleaning the toilets, sweeping the stands, painting, all sorts. It was free just labor, wasn't it? it was free. Yeah, it was basically free labor. But I mean, we can have a conversation about this later, whether the advantages and disadvantages of that. But brass tacks—that's what I like to use—or or nuts and bolts. Though, those are the expressions. Those details. If you're going to do a job then do it properly. That's what Bob was talking about. So corners and edges, the guys looking after the apprentices, they go in and, ex and, and examine, has the corner of the room been swept properly? Around the toilet basin, had it been actually done properly? Has it been cleaned? Or have they just done a bit of a, like a half a job, Joe, just like bodge job? Could you be bothered to do it properly? And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of really cool exit points from this, isn't it, Lewis? Yeah, someone taking care. Yeah. Has someone been diligent enough? It reminds me, I I, I was asked actually at the beginning of this year during the staff induction, um, Harry, our director of sport, did a, a bit of a task with the PE team and asked him what's your sort of favourite quote or a, a maybe a, a sort of motto you live by. And I chose this one from Tom Waits. I didn't know it was by Tom Waits, who apparently is an American musician, not particularly of fair with his music. But anyway, he says, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I love that. I think that's exactly right. If you're going to take the time to do something, do it properly because yes. the way that you do one thing reflects to other people how much care you're going to take in other things. I completely agree and I can relate it to this summer actually or the summer that's just gone and I was working with George, my father-in-law on, on a bit of a project in the house and uh, we, had, we had so much work to do but we had to get it done properly. And I didn't understand, I just want to get in first coat of paint on, get it bush, bash, bosh, get it all done. But the process was so much more important. And if you're going to do a job, do it properly. So indication, we've got bare doors, literally just wood. And I'm thinking, right, just a top coat, bosh. They're going, nah, nah, nah. And you sound London accent, I'm not going to copy it again. But nah, nah, nah is quite good. Uh, nah, you want to do it like this? Um, so we, we've got like four layers of undercoat, sanding it down every time, take the handles off so that you're not having to mask up the handles, take them off so that it does it properly, nice job. Make sure you've got all your sheeting out on the floor so you're not ruining the floor at the same time. Got to use the right brush because it's got a different edge for a different one. Mm -hmm. Then telling me that I can't paint across, I've got to go down with the grain. And then there's a certain way, do the panels first. Don't do the air, like, all right, all right. Sounds thrilling. But I, the end job after... Four undercoats, then two glossing, rubbing it down and doing putting the handles back on. Proper job. Best uh, doors in town. But you could, I'm like, you take a step back and you're really proud because you've gone through hours, yeah. <laughs> hours, but you, it's a proper job. And if I'd have just bodged it, it wouldn't look as good. And I think that's what Bob's alluding to, isn't it, with, the, with that corners and edges. Do it right. 
Yeah, he is. And you need a bit of ego for that, don't you? <laughs> well, oh, no. <laughs> you do, though, don't you? Like, I always think if your name's on something, especially, mm-hmm. there's jeopardy there, then, isn't there? There's accountability. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a way that actually you're in charge of this. So now it's now it's down to you. Are you going to yeah. move a job a bit or not? Yeah. So I think in that sense, I, I like the idea of this the sort of phrase corners and edges, this nod to being diligent and being bothered because your 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 reputation matters a bit. And if your name's on it, you need to do it well. Yeah, I agree. And and I'm thinking to to what Bob was alluding to is You've got these young footballers. If they can't be asked to do the cores and corners and edges, well, they're not going to be prepared to go and run that extra mile, are they? To go and win that challenge, to go and be in there when it matters. To watch what they eat at home. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's slight work, lads. Slight work off Kez. Everyone Kez talked about that. And and I totally I totally get it. And it drives me mad with my, my own kids. Just pick up your pick up your socks like off the floor. Tidy and player. It's the same thing. It's alluding to the same thing, isn't it? Just do the little things. And uh, there's a lot of work to show that, I think it's in Atomic Habits from James Clear, isn't it? Where if you make your bed in the morning, so you get up and that's the first thing you do is make your bed. It's going to put you on a good journey for the day because you've done a job, you've gone bosh, you ticked it off. If you just left it a mess... You've started your day with a little bit of untidiness mm. and it follows through into the day. I think I think the point of that conversation is the, the bed's irrelevant, isn't it? Yeah. It's more just yeah, it's the mindset. Get, get up and get something done yeah. and then you know that the rest of the day you've already achieved something and you're mm. going to build on that. Mm. In that same book in James Clear's Atomic Habits, he talks about um, creating a habit and he, he talks about just getting your gym kit on and just putting it on for five minutes. Yeah. Because by the time you've done that a few times, it's not just going to be for five minutes. You're not going to put it on and then take it back off. You're going to put it on and think, well, I might as well do a few minutes now. Yeah. So he, he uses that idea of just making a start and getting going. Is that the first step to corners and edges? Or does that do, is that working in conflict with it? Because we talk, we've talked before, we've had an episode in with Jana, the most articulate year 13 student I think yeah. I've ever spoken to who talked about perfectionism of this idea of getting things right and the pressure to get things right. Is there a conflict between perfectionism and corners and measures or, or is there a relationship that actually is a bit more confidential? You know what? It's not, it's not a bad shout. But f- from my perspective there is if you're doing the little things right and you're creating those habits of just little things, the bigger stuff falls into place. And David Brailsford calls that marginal gains, doesn't he? You know, the little things add up. You might not think they do, but they do. And if you could just then stack them, is it habit stacking? I think he calls James Clay, doesn't he? Stack all those habits up. You then start to to set the standard. You know what's reminded me of? I've not thought of this for years. I used to work on a weight management camp in Leeds for Carnegie Weight Management. I worked at Appley Bridge at Woodhouse Grove School four or five summers in a row and it was a superb opportunity to learn and to sort of cut your teeth as a, a what I ended up being obviously a PE teacher but that sort of laid the groundwork for it um, and, and I worked my way up to that um, from being like an activity leader and then a group leader and the, the, the head of the, the camp um, in parallel with a, a female colleague and I remember one of the things we used to talk about a lot was when the kids were walking through what they called the quad area, not letting them cut through, cut up, like cut through the grass or jump over the plants. And I remember the guy who ran the camp, 
and who sort of created it is called Professor Paul Gately. I remember having a conversation with him once about why we felt that was important. And he was trying to get other staff to see that that set the tone. Yeah, yeah. If you were quite deliberate in saying, listen, you know, we don't cut corners here and we, do, we, don't, we don't do that physically as well as metaphorically. So you're not cutting across the grass there. You're not jumping over the plants. You're using the path and it might mm-hmm. take you about 12 seconds longer to get to where you want to go, but that's mm-hmm. important. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I've not thought of that for years. It, it's that expression from the American opera singer in the 70s, Beverly Sills, who... She coined the phrase, there's no shortcuts to any place worth going. And that's that's exactly what you're just talking about there. And it's about botheredness, isn't it? It's about being bothered. And, and I'm thinking about in the school setting there, particularly with teachers, we can talk about students as well. But that botheredness to get to your duty on time mm. and to make sure you're interacting with kids, just being bothered about them. Mm. Because it guaranteed when you don't blink and turn up, there's an incident that happens and then we're having to deal with it. It's that sort of that sweeping the sheds mentality of when you've got an assembly and you've got 500 chairs getting set out and you've got tables and all sorts of things, are you the one that that stays behind that little bit after and helps set that up or is just that just that's just the operations job? Mm. Leaving your this is this is one that <laughs> irates me, leaving your leaving your, your teacup on the, the staff room table and expecting someone else to take it away for you when you could just go and do that. Or, nah. Do you know what I mean? That, is that laziness and is that not being bothered? Or could that be an absent-mindedness caused by the fact that people are very, very busy in a school? I get that, mate. A bit of slant. It comes back to the whole setting the bed, uh, making the bed, doesn't it? Yeah. You have got time. Yeah. So whether you prioritise that or not, or you think that's someone else's job. So is it, and I know you, we might have touched on this already, is it? Is it the idea of being present in what you're doing? Yeah, completely. I'll give you an example. And I think it was the first one you used, I remember on duty, about active supervision, right? You know, as a teacher, without any training, that the way to be on duty with kids is to not be on your phone, to be scanning, to be open for conversations, to be proactive in approaching children, to try and engage in them. You, you know the ones you've got to keep an eye on, you know the areas where you need to just walk around and have a little check on a little bit more often. But how often does that actually happen? It's a good shout. And, and the same comes for where... And, and why doesn't it happen? Yeah. Does it, does, it, does it not happen because you stand there and you think, I'm not going to bother doing that? Or is it because you're thinking about the lesson that you just had mm-hmm. and the incident that happened or the results of those kids or the mm-hmm. test that you gave and didn't go, well, actually, after my duty, I need to get here, I need to get a bite to eat mm-hmm. and I need to run to my lesson. How important is that process of just pausing and being present in relation to this idea of being bothered? Completely agree. Uh, what I'd like to ban in schools is the word busy. Right. We're all busy, aren't we? All right. Yeah, yeah. But it's not an excuse for me. Being busy is not an excuse for not being present, for not doing the role. And we could all spend a break time answering emails or not stack chairs or whatever task that's not been done as a result of not being present. Being busy, fine. We're all busy people. Everybody can be busy. You can even make make up stuff to be busy, but. I think this comes down to being present in that moment, doesn't it? And I think that comes back to the botheredness. By being present, you're showing that you're bothered. <clears throat> so does it come back to, excuse me, 
does it come back to almost stripping it back and saying you can only do one job at once? Yeah, 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 that's a good point. So whatever job it is you're focusing on, focus on that one thing. Try and do it as well as you can. Give it the time that you can afford to give it and then move on. Yeah, completely agree. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I, and you talked about Jana being a perfectionist and, and trying to get out that. I think just doing things properly, being there in the moment, actually giving it its care attention, it is critical. And because we're so distracted now, as I mean, when I first started teaching, we didn't have phones. So at break time, you, you couldn't answer Email emails. Or, thing, were it no, no, we didn't have email then. You, the only what way you, you got... Just like move to your desk and you just had a pile of... You know what you did? You, know, you so... talk to people. It's no, like, like this modern thing. You know, like if, if, if someone wasn't around, because mm. like, I, I joined the profession just as this was come phasing out, right? Outlook right, okay. was a thing and email was in. Okay. There were still pigeonholes. Like, I don't yeah. think pigeonholes are a thing in a lot of stuff. No, no, I don't think there is. No. But there were still pigeonholes. And you'd, every now and again, you'd have a note on your pigeonhole oh, yeah. on a bit of memo paper. But I was right at the back end of that. You weren't. Yeah. So what, what happened before? <laughs> <laughs> pigeonholes, man. I tell you what, there used to be the worst digital, and you got a pink slip. Can you remember what a pink? You reckon what that is for? Oh, that means like you've got to do an extra lesson as that's covering. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, it was. You were like you'd be devastated, absolutely dead. Oh, there's a pink slip in your in your pigeonhole. You're like, oh, get it, throw it away, put it. <laughs> Gutted. But no, you. I do think when I look back at the when I first started, and the pigeonholes were mainly full of mail, like fixtures it weren't generally memos okay because you talk to people yeah. if you wanted to go and tell them some you'd have to physically get off your bum walk to their classroom wherever they were and and talk to them whereas now we email them but that brings about that would be another good podcast wouldn't it really the purpose of email or a spoken conversation i think the the big difference is that we're not talking to each other enough. And I think that's a lack of connection as well. And I, we know that a, a, a conversation is always much better than an email, but we're slaves to our keyboard now. So I don't think it's actually improved uh, our efficiency as teachers, to be quite honest. Efficiency is a, a good exit point. But the other exit point I, I thought about, as you said that, is the, the sort of idea of accountability when we go back to corners and edges. I, if you're sending emails... Is there a sense sometimes when you send an email, and I know the answer to this, the answer is yes, right? <laughs> there is, but there's a sense sometimes you send an email to get it off your list. Right, I need to get this email because it's on my list and it's something to do and mm. I need to pass this on to someone else and I've, I've ticked it off. And that's incredibly selfish, isn't it? And it, and it shouldn't happen, but it does. How how did that differ, or how should that differ with a conversation? Well, there's more nuance, isn't there, for one? And you've got to... You can't hide emotion or you can't hide body language. And it's quite, I'm reading a really good book at the moment, the Vanessa Edwards book about, about body language. There's no body language in, in your email. And do you think sometimes well, people send emails because of that? Yeah, they think, actually, yeah, I just get this email off because then I don't yeah. have to go through that situation. Yeah. It probably will be quicker. Yeah. And I don't have to then wait for that person to actually find any sort of disagreement or any opinion that might conflict with my opinion so I can just direct them, I can just send them this message and they're done. Yeah, you're right. Especially like that might not happen so much peer-to-peer -peer or colleague-to-colleague, -colleague, right? Because you might be working on a level or you might have a relationship where that isn't really acceptable. But if you're, I think you've got to be really mindful of that as a leader because if you're a leader and, and you're sending a member of, of the team that you're in an email like that, 
then there is a sort of hierarchical pressure. Mm. There is a relationship that's not particularly even, mm. um, as we talked about, especially in Southeast Asia. Mm. So is there then a sort of acceptance that, right, that'll get done, I can move on now, rather than actually being, if I'm going to do this properly, we're going to have a conversation about mm. this so they understand what's going to be done. Because the other side of that is you might get the email back that says, well, you might not get one back and you expect it to be done, but it's not done in the way you want it to be done. But you've not had a conversation about that, mm. like you still back in the day. I'll take one of the things you said there, and I think sometimes I think the email does actually take longer to write than if you just nipped off your ass and walk down the corridor and have it. Yeah. Because you're having to think about the language you use. Is it is it passive? Is it aggressive? Is it passive aggressive? Where what do I want to get from this? Whereas all those all those nuances come out much better in the way that you can speak because they can see your expression, they can see the tone. So it's just made me think now, actually, that I need to send less emails and have more conversations, to be quite honest with you. I'm thinking about a, a particular emails I've received over the last few weeks from parents. Who, and I'm a parent, so you do get emotional about your kids, but <laughs> massive emotion when, they, when they're firing off an email to, to teachers about their child, feel there's something that's happened to their child. Massive emotion. What's going to be done? What is the punishment that this other child's going to get? And so on. Loads of emotion. At that point, you can respond with an email or you can go and have a conversation. And through experience over the last, particularly over the last few weeks, having a face-to-face chat then after they've been very emotive has been very, very effective because they're not that emotive face-to-face with what they are on the email. And it's probably a couple of days that have passed. Or yeah, I've completely. And we have to bear in mind about English is additional language and etiquette. They might not have been trained in email etiquette. It's just, you can almost hear them saying it. So if you can hear them saying it, have the bloody conversation. Yeah. And you know, when, and I don't know if we're going on a tangent here or not, but I think it, I, I like the conversation, so I'm not too worried. The, um, the, the example that you've given there about maybe a parent who is really frustrated and, you know, we've all worked in schools where there's probably two or three parents in every school that you're like, oh no. <laughs> right, like, oh, they've got in touch now. Question for you How do you judge those people that when those parents get in touch, they're a different person in how they do things? Linking to corners and edges. I'll give you an example. So, I used to work in a school, um, and in this school that I'm talking about, there was a member of staff who um, had very sort of opinionated views on different bits and bobs, and those were often quite negative. Um, and would openly talk really sort of cynically about the way that the parents have contacted this person. Um, and he would he would talk about how um, they've said this, they've said that, they've said the other. And when the parents came in, he was more often than not nice as pie. But there was one or two parents that if that person got an email from them, he would do things sort of, like at speed and he'd do things at a level that he wouldn't do for any other parents because he was frightened that these two parents would kick off because they were the parents that he didn't want to kick off and they kicked off before. If you're doing your job well and you're looking at corners and edges, do you treat parents differently in that way? That's a good question. And I think, once again, as we always say, context provides the narrative. Of course, there's going to be some, some conscious bias there of if you've got parents that you know are particularly emotional or 
they'll cause a scene or they want in particular answers quickly, you're going to you're going to have a bias there to think, you know what, I need to deal with this. And you might feel different, but would you do anything differently? No, I think you're acting in your, your calm, positive way, aren't you? I don't think you'd deal with the situation differently. And I think that's the bit that, or the, the sort of conclusion that I've arrived at. I think there are certain ways that sometimes, and we're talking specifically about parents here, parents act when they email the school or call you. They do make you feel different. You know, it may, mm -hmm. might make you feel a bit more under pressure mm -hmm. or feel a bit more frustrated or whatever it is the feeling is, or more supported in some cases when the shoe's on the other foot. But there are also parents that, that would make you feel really, really emotional and really sort of pressured and really sort of judged. But aren't your processes the same either way? Because I'd like to think that they are. I think your processes are your processes and this is the way that we're trying to do it and this is the yeah. reason why and this is why we're trying to support your child. And actually you wasting all this emotional energy mm. on getting irate and getting frustrated mm. actually isn't going to help in any way. It shouldn't, should mm. it? If you're a person who's looking after the corners and edges anyway. Yeah, completely it agree. It shouldn't be that you're in a position where you're like, okay, well, I'll wait till someone really kicks off and then I'll do my job properly. Yeah, I, I completely agree, mate. It's about being present, as we've talked about before, giving, giving that particular situation your full attention, which... It's often very hard because I know we're going to do a podcast about spinning plates, but we're often spinning plates, aren't we? We're dealing with multiple situations at the same time. So we can't just simply just go and prioritise something else unless it's obviously a, a safeguarding or a, a really high priority case. But it's about that process, as you talk about, going through a slow, methodical process and doing the right thing at the right time. Common sense. <laughs> Brass tax, though. For me, it's called brass tax. You know, think little things, little things, brass tax. And I, I'll give you an example. Remember when we were working together back in Manila? Yeah. Storerooms. Yeah. Get your storerooms right. Get your inventory done. Make sure that the spaces are right and then everything else falls into place. I've worked in places where that's a shit show. Therefore, the rest doesn't fall into place. Okay. So, corners and edges. So, that's example number one. I'm going to put it right under pressure here. We've not, we've not planned this, but we're going to do top top 10 tips. Oh. Top 10 tips on um, on corners and edges or examples. Example number one would be storerooms. I'll give you example number two, and then I'm going to table tennis back to you. Example number two would be if you go as far as making a rule or an expectation about the colour of the socks that children wear at your school, if you've written that rule down anyway, then stick to it. Because otherwise there's no point having it, is there? Good point. Okay. Back to me. Yeah, what else you got? Calendar. Yeah. Dates. About it. Now, I've worked in places where that's on the calendar, it's set in stone, you're not allowed to change it ever. It's like sacrilege. But I've worked in places where it changes all the time. I think there's a happy medium there. And I think as long as everybody's informed of the calendar change, there should be no reason why you can't make changes to a school calendar. All right, we've seen through COVID that things can change and they'll still work well. But I think it's about informing calendar, giving plenty of notice. Back to you. I'm going to have got, I've just got a pause to write down what we've got here. We've got tidy up store cupboards. <laughs> three in. 
we've got um, if you write it down, I suppose that's quite a general one, but if you write it down, stick to it. And I use the uh, example of something silly like uniform colour of the socks that you've got. Calendar would be number four. I'm going to write a thought number three. I'm going to write number four, spelling mistakes on occasions. They happen, right? But blinking out, just try your best to minimise them. Put it through Grammarly. You can even get a free version of Grammarly, right? If you don't put it through Grammarly, speak to somebody who really likes proofreading. You know, if you can't do that, then is there an administrative assistant that's uh, connected to your department? There probably is. If there isn't, there's probably one connected to the school somewhere. Mm. Can you get them to do it? Spelling mistakes on letters would be one for me. That would be an example of corners and edges. Okay. Back to me. Email etiquette. Have a pro forma for etiquette of how you actually talk to each other, how you, if you've got salutations. How, please don't have capital letters, bold exclamation marks in there. Just really lovely, short, standard emails that everybody can just get on with. So, yeah, email etiquette for me is on that as well. It's a good one. Um, for a pre PE department, I think this is PE specific. If you've got a staff uniform, <laughs> then wear the staff uniform. And if you if your school brings in a new staff uniform that's completely rebranded, don't continue wearing the old one. Like have have some uniform, literally some in, in its most pure sense of the word, be uniform in, in how you present yourself would be one for me. What are we on? That number? That was number six, you're on seven. This is gonna be like a Disney S1. I did when I visited Disney World a few years ago with the kids and, and, and the family. Um they have a policy. A member of staff sees a piece of litter, they swoop and pick it up in one motion. It's so cool to see. Right. So you've, it's so clean, yet you've got millions of people visiting. I, I know there's bins, but people drop stuff on the floor, but every member of staff who's walking around, they pick up litter. Mm. I think it should be exactly the same. Mm. See a piece of litter, pick it up. It's not someone else's job. Just put it in bin. I like that. The Disney litter swoop. <laughs> I think I remember that forever. Um, I would say corners and edges. If, you, if you've got a planned absence... Leave cover work. Oh, mate. That's not, not standard. It should be, shouldn't it? It really should be. But if you've got a planned absence, you should be leaving cover work. Now, I think in PE, I don't know about most other schools in the world, but wherever I've worked, you sort of cover yourselves internally. You're a specialist lesson mm. in a specialist department, and you cover yourselves. Now, so that, that might mean that it's enough for you to write down one paragraph for the person yeah, yeah. in your lesson because they know and they get it. But just add the courtesy of leaving something. Yeah. Leave something for them, not just play a game. Yeah. It's the laziest thing in the world, isn't it? So I'd say I'd say leave cover work. Two more. Two more. All right, you'll like this one. Form tutors. Yeah. If you get a message to read to kids in the morning, bloody read it. Read the bulletin. <laughs> is that not is that not common sense or is common sense not very common? I'm not saying it. Read the bulletin. That's uh, it is. It's a given, isn't it? And the, the reason for that, a lot of the time, certainly, uh, talking maybe specifically at our school, we ask people to put things on the bulletin to to really minimise the amount of emails and alerts yeah, yeah, yeah. things they're getting through the day. So it's it's all there in one place. It's relatively well presented, and it's clear. Yeah. So just take the time before you get into school. Take ten minutes. Have a little read of it. Update yourself. Give yourself the knowledge you need, and then crack on with your day. Mm. Reading the bulletin is a great one. This is like you could do this the other way around in that teaching, like room 101. What would you, <laughs> you, you have a room 101? Yeah, it was class. Nick Hancock, 
Well, um, I remember it with uh, Paul Merton, was it? Was it? Oh, it was Nick Hancock, I think, the first time around. Paul Merton with a flop, yeah, I remember him quite well. He gets some interesting ones on there. Go on, then, last one, Stan, to you. I'm, uh, I'm delaying, I'm delaying on those. Oh. I'm trying to think of... Uh, do you want me to do it for you? The last one, no, because I will have one or two more if you just give me a few seconds. I'll tell you what, we'll do a letter, and you go, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish it. This would be one that applies to you. If you've got a meeting, mate, don't turn up late. <laughs> To be fair, I thought you did well to leave that one. I, I, I was guessing that that would be, uh, that would be on the first one. I'm going to give another piece specific example. Oh, yeah. Give 11. In terms of corners and edges, we need planning. Um, don't have children in lines. Oh, yeah. mate. Only lines should be at coffee shop. Don't ever have lines in your lessons. If you've got lines in your lessons, one of two things about that. Either you've not planned your lesson. <laughs> Or you don't have the knowledge to know that lines don't help children develop with sport. Instead of having lines, just maximise the activity time. So yeah. We've got 11 there, haven't we? Yeah. So we sum them up? Go on. So tidy up the store cupboard. <laughs> if you write it down, stick to it with regards to, I used a uniform example. Yeah, yeah, if you're going to have it, then make sure that you do it. Don't just laminate it. Stick to it, rules. Don't laminate it, live it. Stick to the things you're going to say. Practice what you preach. Walk, yeah, yeah. Walk the talk, talk the walk. Say it however you want. Um, calendar was number three. Yeah. If you're gonna have a calendar, make sure it's used and it's used in a in a way that's uh, useful. Number four, spelling mistakes on letters. They they just should be obsolete. There's so much software out there now that stops you from doing it. Um, and we've probably made a broad for us on that. We're killing ourselves here. Killing ourselves. But the point exists, doesn't it? <laughs> it really shouldn't happen. Number five is email etiquette. Um, have a sort of standard way of sending emails. Keep it short and sweet. Don't let people ramble on if possible. Number six, a PE uniform. If you've got one for staff, wear it. Don't well, turn it, up in, in your night trackers if you've got school. Uh, and expectations for staff across the school there in yeah. terms of uniform, you know, not just PE. Number seven, Disney swooping. <laughs> I remember that forever. If you see rubbish on the floor, pick it up. Role model, you remember a staff. Number eight was leave cover work. If you're going to be absent, then make sure there's cover work left and you've had a conversation. Can I add Can I add a caveat? Decent cover work as well. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're up in the bar, yeah. Um, number nine was read the bulletin. Yes. That's what it's there for every morning. Yeah, yeah, bloody it. Yeah. Make sure you know what's happening in the school. Let day. kids be informed, otherwise they come on to the field at lunch. Well, whose turn is it? And we'll... It got told this morning. Number 10 is don't turn up late, which Alan, I don't know how he left it for number 10, but it was there. And number 11, um, with your planning, plan for maximum activity time in PE. It's 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 just unforgivable to have but, kids in lines watching other people perform. I'm, I'm going to also put that into the classroom, though, as well. There. Just activity time in classrooms as well. Make sure kids are, are busy. Make sure they're doing stuff. They're not... Should be no point they sat around doing nothing. So no, it's not just PE there that's as well. Quite right. And I think to put it in context in PE, I'd probably say you know, there are some times that not often where kids need to wear their turn, and I get that. Yeah. But you shouldn't be in more than a two or three if you're waiting for anything. Yeah, you, know, you, right, want, you want people to be doing what they're doing. So totally agree. They're eleven impromptu, off the cuff uh, sort of ideas for uh, corners to, and edges. How to cover corners and edges. In other words, how to uh, how to do a decent job. <laughs> how to do a decent job, how to be bothered, how to be uh, present in what you're doing. And then maybe 11 things that we probably all need reminders for. We've, 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 we've said ourselves, we're probably going to let ourselves down <laughs> in one of those 11 areas in the next... Without uh, a doubt. And that's all right, though. That's all right. Hours. <laughs> but that's all right. We make mistakes and we own up and we, we crack on, don't we? It is, yeah. Because no. we show some humility. 
course you do. You learn from uh, from every day, don't you? Yeah. That's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed. If you do, please um, press subscribe and review. All the algorithms and stuff are really helping us for the moment. When people leave reviews, it seems to lead to another review where people subscribe, another one does. So you're doing um, you're doing your bit to really support us if you can do those things and uh, get involved, interact with us. Um, great to hear from uh, our listeners, and we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers.